Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11, Paul says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they were hearing only, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. What a testimony that is. And they glorified God in me. Let's bow our heads once again and ask the Lord to bless our study tonight. Heavenly Father, as always, we are grateful. Father, I trust for the recorded word that you have set forth for us through these ones who were faithful, through these ones who were yielding, Lord, to your spirit, as the Spirit inspired them to write down exactly what you have for us to hear, for us to know, Father, as they were even delivering the word in real time, in their time. I thank you, Father, for the work that you do so complex and yet so simple in ministering to our hearts and receiving, Father, as you deliver it to us, Father, and stir us and grow us and teach us by your Spirit. I pray, Father, that you'd open up our hearts tonight, open up our minds, close our ears and our thoughts to the things outside. And help us to receive all that you have for us in this moment. We praise you for this opportunity to gather together. We give you the glory and ask for you to bless us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned last week, uh, well, this is kind of, I hate to say say it this way, but it's kind of a memoir, as close as you're going to get of Paul's memoirs. You know, lots of people write memoirs. I think lots of people that have no business writing memoirs write, me- write their memoirs. When I say have no business, it's like you can go to the library, you can go to the bookstore, you can get online, you can get on Kindle, you can do whatever you want to do and open it up and see that lots and lots of people have written autobiographical works that have laid out, well, their specific memories of their own lives. And some of them, well, they're not very edifying, they're not very good for anything other than, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, that being said... Uh, lots of people do it. Uh, my understanding is that back Winston Churchill, being as prolific with his books as he has, he has a number of them. Evidently, when he got into financial trouble, he just jot off of a memoir, and he, well, he'd live off of the proceeds. People are interested in knowing the history of people, particularly from their own perspective, from their own autobiographical, written from straight from 
from the, from the source's mouth, we'd like to know what people were thinking, what they were doing, and why at certain times in their lives, depending on who it is that we're considering. Now, the remainder of this chapter that we just read here in chapter 1, and a good part of the next chapter in chapter 2 is as near as you're going to find of an autobiographical memoir of Paul's as you're going to find in Scripture. He writes out a number of different things, historically speaking, in his other epistles. There's a lot of history regarding Paul and his his journeys and his dealings and his healings and his miraculous works and all those in Acts, but he didn't write those things, so it's not autobiographical uh, by definition. Uh, What you see here is him writing from his own experience, from his own perspective. And he names a couple of, well, a few different things here. Now, uh, what I want to make clear, and I kind of wrestled with this and asked the Lord to make it clear to me what I was supposed to do, Um, If you've ever studied out the book of Acts for yourself and you've put these epistles of Paul's and specifically the different accounts that are in them, you've ordered them and uh, uh, compared them to the book of Acts, you'll, you'll probably join me in understanding that it's not always easy just because there's so much information there. There's so many different things that have to be lined up just so. They don't contradict, but they are difficult searching out. Uh, and, it, um, and when I say difficult, I mean more than anything, kind of time-consuming. It takes some time to look back and compare each thing and, and know that Paul was talking about this and recognizing that one verse can cover literally the span of years, uh, just like one book can literally cover the span of decades. So I'm not going to just sit and say, this is this, and this is this, and this here is this, and if you look in Acts 10, this here is this, and make those correlations between that. I'm going to let you study that out for yourself, simply because I think that I might just serve to confuse a number of you who are not familiar at all with it, and I don't want to confuse anyone. So take the time as the Lord puts it on your heart. It is certainly the glory of God. How does that scripture say? It's the glory of a king to conceal a matter, and the the glory of God to conceal a matter, glory or honor, depending on the translation, the honor of kings to Uh, Search out a matter. So take that glory for yourself as the Lord puts it on your heart. That being said, I am going to look a little bit at this history here. A little bit of some of Paul's history and get into some of the details about it and see why it is that he gave such a... That's not lengthy by any means. It's not exhaustive by any means. But he gave a certain measure of a history lesson regarding himself. A reminder of certain accounts. A reminder of his history to these ones that he is speaking to in these churches at Galatia. Why did he feel compelled to present these things to them? Well, the first thing that I would say is that the flesh is always looking to be moved away from the truth. Our flesh is always, and I say that categorically. I mean, this is all-inclusive. Our flesh is always looking to be bumped off of the truth of the Word of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul speaks to that. Our flesh is continually looking for a reason not to believe the things of God, not to believe the Word of God, not to believe the promises of God. Our flesh is constantly looking for reasons to compromise and things. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, Paul told the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. They are foolishness to him. They're counter to his logic, counter to his rationale. Newsflash, saints, and this isn't a newsflash to you. You understand it. You have an old creation. You have a new creation. You have a flesh that you're dragging along with you all the time, and that flesh, whether you want to admit it or not, and I imagine everyone here would admit it, 
Our flesh does not want to receive the things of God. Our flesh is constantly telling us, you don't need this, you don't need that, you don't need this, when it comes to the things of God. Case in point, (laughs) you know, here's just a simple one. I don't know if this applies to anybody, but I'll just throw it out there. I need to set my alarm so that I get up early enough tomorrow before I go to work so I can pray and read my Bible. Beep, beep, beep. Snooze. (laughs) Snooze. Stay in bed. And that's that. Our body is always telling us. Even if it's... it's, I'll just leave it at that. Our flesh is always telling us. Compromising the things. Our flesh is always desiring and willing to compromise spiritual things in order to appease itself. In order to appease its own rationale. In order to appease its own creature comforts and that's why that's why god's people who still carry around a flesh that's why we're tossed to and fro carried about by every wind of doctrine as paul told the ephesians there we're we're moved back and forth or we have a tendency to be when we submit to our flesh and not to the new man and not to that new creation who does yield to the spirit who does yield to the things of god wants the things of god when we submit to our flesh we get bumped off uh, it's a, I say fascinating, but it is. It's a fascinating dichotomy for the person of God, the child of God, to have the new creation and the old creation constantly warring at each other. Read Romans, study Romans, and see what Paul says about that. He says plenty. We're always carrying this body that is always doing its best, doing its best to take us from the things of God. And that's Paul was always at odds with that flesh. Well, of his own, he bears testimony of that, but he was always dealing with those ones who yielded and submitted to their flesh. And so he gives this history lesson as part of his compelling, as part of his argument, as part of his case uh, for these ones to not submit to the flesh, but instead to listen to the word, to listen to, well, that message that the Lord gave him for them, specifically for them. He was always at odds with those that submit to the flesh. As he was walking in the Spirit, and as he was teaching the things that God had for them, those ones who weren't interested and yielded to that part of them that weren't, wasn't interested in well, the message, in the Word, well, he was at odds with those ones. And he wanted other ones to be aware of the same thing as they were ministering. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he speaks those familiar words to Timothy along the lines. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. People in general, but even even God's people. But according to their own desires, their own flesh's wants, that, again, that natural need that we have. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and not godly ones. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It's only a matter of time. Wherever the word is given, wherever the word is received, wherever the word is accepted, wherever the word is taught, it's only a matter of time before opposition comes. We say it all the time. This one accepted the Lord for their Savior. Praise the Lord. We're grateful for that. Get ready. It's not because we're pessimists. We're realists, right? We considered that here recently. We're not not pessimists. We're realists. And we have a common enemy. And our enemy wants to hurt those ones that are, well, that belong to the Lord. It just... Simply is what it is. When good things are present, the enemy comes to try to wreck those good things. And so that time had come there in Galatia with those 
with those churches that Paul was dealing with here. He had come, he'd gone through that region, he'd established some truths, established those ones, and helped them to have their own faith established and furthered. Here it came. It just like we read in Corinth when we were considering that uh, book not long ago. Here it came. The enemy came, and so, so it was, and so we had to deal with it. And that's what he was intending to do. Now, we read last week what their issue was in verse 7 of this first chapter. There, those ones had come in and were leaning on the people and they were bringing another gospel. That wasn't a gospel. It was a gospel which is not another, he says in verse 7. It wasn't good news. It wasn't God's truth. It wasn't the actuality of the word of God. might have sounded good. Evidently, it sounded good to these ones. We're going to consider that in weeks to come, but... It sounded good to them, sounded spiritual, sounded right, sounded encouraging, sounded like it was just, and it sounded like it, well, it was something that they could do for themselves and feel good doing it, but it wasn't good news. There are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. When we were in Paraguay, we were in a a town called Ciudad del Este. It's on the border of Paraguay and Brazil. Big, big urban center. I mean, huge, busy, busy. I think I showed a video when we gave a little recap of our trip. Scooters all over the place, little, you know, kiosks and huts right up there, right up against your car, and they're selling their wares and all that sort of thing. I've never seen so much Nike and Gucci and Adidas and all that stuff right there in the middle of town. I mean, it was fantastic. Name brand stuff. I mean, it was like, that's top shelf stuff right here in this little $2 hut, (laughs) you know. I mean, that's that's a real Rolex is sitting right there. No, it wasn't. You know, it wasn't. It was all knockoff stuff. It was fake. It was fraudulent. That Rolex, I guarantee you it wasn't a smooth dial. If you don't know what a smooth dial Rolex is, well, then you can't afford one. You don't even... <laughs> a smooth dial on a Rolex is one of the trademarks of it. And a fake one doesn't have the smooth second hand. It... It's a fake. It's a knockoff. Uh... All of them were knockoffs. All of those shirts, those Nike shirts and Adidas shirts and all that, you might have bought it for five bucks. It wasn't really Nike. But honestly, you put it on, still wears like Nike. You could look at it from a distance and say, it is Nike. Still a wearable shirt for all intents and purposes. It was the same kind of stuff. We overpay for name brands oftentimes, right? When it's a shirt is a shirt is a shirt, oftentimes you just pay for the little, the little tag or whatever the case. That wasn't the case here. These ones were perverting the gospel of Christ. They were bringing a gospel. They weren't bringing a shirt that was still a shirt, just wasn't a Nike shirt. They were bringing a gospel that wasn't. That was not good news. That was not God's word. was not God's news. Uh, In Galatia, when they were bringing this word to them, this gospel to them, it was more along the lines of, you ordering a pizza and then them saying, here you go, and giving you a hamburger. And when you bite into it, it's made of wax. It wasn't even the thing that it was intended to be. And the thing that it was intended to be was completely different than what was ordered anyway. No sustenance there. It wasn't reality. It was not a gospel. These were ones who didn't preach Christ out of envy and strife like we talked about here recently in Philippians 1.15 where Paul said whether they preach out of envy and strife as long as Christ is preached I will rejoice in this. This wasn't the case. They weren't preaching Christ out of envy and strife. They were perverting the gospel of Christ. And so Paul was not rejoicing in it. He recognized that they were preaching for their own profit and they were preaching falsehood for their own profit. 
If you flip over in Galatians here to chapter 4 and verse 17, it kind of describes what they were doing there. He points out that they had a motivation there that was ungodly and wrong. What did he say in verse 17 of Galatians chapter 4? He said, they zealously court you. Young people, you know what it is to court, perhaps. We don't use that term very, very much anymore. You're dating somebody or you're going with somebody or something like that. If you're courting someone, then you're going about trying to, well, trying to woo them. Woo, that's even worse than court. You don't say that either. You're, you're trying to impress them. You're trying to secure them as your own. You know, perhaps uh, dating and, and looking to make a match with them. These ones zealously court you. They go about their business trying to attract your attention, trying to attract, attract your focus. But for no good, no sincerity, no true profit, no honesty in this courting. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. They want to separate you, insulate you is what he was saying. That These ones are coming in. They know what has been presented. They want to take you from that, well, that good and, and harmonious and blessed word that has been established here and bring you over here and insulate you, separate you from the truth. They want you pulled aside so that they don't feel obsoleted. These ones who made it their livelihood uh, to teach, well, the word as they knew it. it. If these were just isolated just to the laws, priests, the priests and the law and, and those sorts of ones, you know, they, they didn't want to be obsoleted and well, that law having been fulfilled, and they didn't want to move forward into the things of Jesus. But there were other ones there. Other ones there, I imagine, who were, well, not even, not even immersed in the law of Moses. But they were trying to shut, shut their minds off, insulate them, pull them aside, keep them away from the truth that Paul had left with them. Now, we understand, we read last week in verse 16 of Galatians 2, where he said, A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by, the, by faith in Jesus Christ. This was what they were trying to insulate them from, that truth. They had motivation. They wanted to be relevant. They wanted to be still the authorities and things. And they were showing a great deal of success there in Galatia, in those respective assemblies there. As Paul had said, I can't believe you're turning away so soon. I can't believe that it's been just such a brief amount of time that you had heard and received and accepted. And so soon you're turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which isn't one. You're turning to this falsehood. And so that's why he brings this history lesson. That's why he brings, once again, kind of a renewal, kind of a reminder of what they'd heard and where they'd heard it from. You know, he told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we take this for ourselves as well, when he says, we urge you, brethren, to recognize. Recognize those who labor among you. It doesn't mean just mean that you lift up those ones and exalt those ones. That's not what God has for us to do. Lift up on high those ones who labor and those ones who teach. No, it means to understand them. To, to well, know what you can about those ones. Our brother mentioned on Sunday morning about those ones who teach that there is a measure of testimony that should be borne out, should be observable, and should be witnessable in those ones. And when the testimony isn't there, you need to take a breath. You need to take a thought and you need to go to the Lord about it. And if the testimony isn't backed up, isn't backing up the word that's coming, if the word is even decent itself, well, then you need to consider that. You need to know those ones who labor among you. Recognize those ones and understand those ones. 
And so Paul is reminding them in this history, I want you to remember who I am, what the Lord has called me to. We mentioned that last week when he said, Paul, an apostle in the very first verse, an apostle not from men, nor through man. This was not my choice. This wasn't anybody else's choice. This wasn't someone coming up to me and saying, you know what, you'd make a good preacher. And by golly, I think that you should be the apostle. You should be an apostle even because you have some stature and you have some capability. You have a lot of promise. You can really capture a room. No, that's not what he was saying here. He says, it was not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Period. That's my authority. That's who checked this box for me. And that's who is backing me up. And then he proceeds to remind them of some of the things that he had experienced. He said, do I now persuade men in verse 2? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He was demonstrating that this gospel is not, well, it wasn't just to sit and impress anybody. It just was what it was. He's a bondservant of Christ, and I must, woe unto me if I don't preach the truth. Woe unto me if I don't obey the Lord was his position. He wanted to demonstrate that this wasn't a gospel that wasn't one. It was the gospel. A, I mean, the good news, period. By the authority and by the power and by the strength of the Almighty God. He hadn't crafted it to satisfy anybody. He hadn't crafted it to appease his flesh in order to garner his own whatever desire he had in that, in that situation. Uh, well, <laughs> if he was looking for fans and if he was looking for appeasing of the flesh and if he was looking for adulation he picked the wrong gospel because he got none of them none of those things by and large from those ones that he encountered he had little to gain naturally speaking from his godly perspective and his godly position when it just looked at it for what it was he was stacked up against well a whole host of different people opposing him and an enemy that wanted to staunch that new church from the beginning, from the outset. It didn't matter, though. It didn't matter. No matter who was offended, no matter who opposed him, no matter well, who dismissed him and dis- dismissed his word, no matter who presented themselves as disinterested, no matter who was apathetic, no matter what the situation was, Paul proved that he was God's man. And no matter how costly it was, he proved that he counted the cost, and he ran his race nevertheless. And he wanted to demonstrate that to the Galatians, not to brag, not to thump his chest, not to tell them how great he was, but to show how great the Lord was in working and moving through him. That was my introduction. (laughs) I'm not going to get through all my notes tonight. Verses 11 through 12, we see a history of his instruction that he received from the Lord. Despite the danger that opposed to himself in bringing the word of God, Paul heeded that conviction that he had. He listened to that conviction that the Lord put in his heart that the Lord's voice needed to be the loudest. The Lord's purpose needed to be number one. The Lord's intent, his guidance, his leading, well, pleasing him needed to be what his focus was. And that's what he says there in verse 11. I make it known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. His voice was the loudest from the outset, and that's the one that I listened to. When he was on the road to Damascus, the light flashed, put him on his back. Who are you, Lord? He heard that. You know, other ones, you know, might have heard something, might have have not understood it. 
There are different ways that you might interpret that, but he was the one who saw the light, heard it, heard the voice, heard everything that was coming from the Lord Jesus. It was a message for him, even from that moment. He received it from him. It could not be said that he was swayed by this church elder or that group or this and that because he didn't even go to Jerusalem after he had heard the voice of the Lord. He went. He was blinded, of course. He was met with Ananias. Ananias prayed for him. He was baptized, so on and so forth. But then after that, he didn't go and say, well, I'm a Christian now. They hadn't named it yet. He hadn't been to Antioch. But he's like, I'm a follower of the way. I need to go to Jerusalem. I need to talk with Peter. I have to talk with James. I have to talk with all these ones who knew Jesus. No, he had talked with Jesus. He had spoken with Jesus. I am Jesus whom you persecute. Heard the words straight from his mouth. And then it says, well, what his next step was there in verse 15. Crossed out a little piece of this in my notes just to give clarity here. But when it pleased God to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. I'm not trying to compare myself to the Apostle Paul, but let me just say this. It, it, in a number of different applications, a number of different times I've spoken to the Lord and I've asked him to remove my interest in hearing the noise. You know, everyone, everyone it wants encouragement. And different ones in, encourage in different ways. I get texts from, from different brothers and sisters saying, this lesson really, really helped me in this situation or that. I'm not trying to dissuade anybody uh, from doing that. But I've asked the Lord to help me never to go seeking that sort of thing. I don't need to number the troops. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to sit and find out and, and gather encouragement and that sort of thing. I trust the Lord. Trust the Lord that, well, the Spirit's going to do a work. Even if I stum stumble and stammer and that sort of thing, that the Spirit will get out the message that He needs, that the Spirit will give me wisdom to bring what it is that, that He wants brought. He said, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I didn't go to the obvious source. These ones who knew Jesus themselves. These ones who preach Jesus and have done so for a long time. I didn't go to them. No, I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. His instruction came by the Spirit of God and his ministry was for the glory of God. And that's how the Lord wanted it. That's how the Lord had it. That was his motivation was to receive from the Lord exactly what the Lord wanted, how He wanted it, so that He could deliver it and glorify Him in it. He must have been well motivated by this. He must have been well satisfied by this because despite, despite the lack of perhaps all of the input, naturally speaking, that could have been there, when He did not go immediately to Jerusalem and receive all of the information that might have been His, well... He started teaching. He started preaching. And he met with contention and he met with danger from the outset, from the beginning. Taking a little walk here through some of these things that he mentions and some of the events and accounts in Paul's life. And again, I'm watching the clock. I won't keep you late. Let's flip back to Acts chapter 9. That rather notorious moment when, when he met with the Lord Jesus there and was knocked back on the road to Damascus. After his blindness, after Ananias came, after the scales as they were fell from his eyes and he was able to see, after he was baptized, 
It says there in verse 22 of Acts chapter 9, The Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, and I think this is likely those three years before he went to Jerusalem that we read about back in our opening chapter, the Jews plotted to kill him. The Jews were those ones who were likely the purists of the day. Those ones of Jewish descent, of Jewish religion, practicing Jewish culture, regardless of where they lived. Here we see him in Damascus. Those ones were ready to kill him, ready to put him to death because he was proving that Jesus is the Christ. Before he even went to Jerusalem, he was already in danger, naturally speaking. In danger, threatened by these ones who didn't agree, didn't see eye to eye, didn't want to hear his non-perverted gospel. Now, ultimately, we do know that he did go to Jerusalem. We read it back in our text. You might keep your finger in Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be flipping back to Acts in a couple of different chapters there. Ultimately, he did go to Jerusalem in verse 18. After three years, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. I think it's important to understand that while he didn't immediately go to convert, it wasn't like he was some lone wolf out here that said, I'm setting this, turning this on its head. I, I, I am the man. I am the one. He didn't do that. Uh, after some time, and I believe certainly knowing Paul's testimony was after the Lord led him to do so, he did go. This church was young. Uh, the body of Christ was a new thing. You know, it was still in its fledgling state. And Paul wasn't going to sit in again, try to start something new here. He was appointed to a large role in that. We understand this. Much of the New Testament, much of this gospel presented for us in this age, was written by Paul's hand. And he was a willing vessel. He plays a large part in it. And he wanted to contribute where the Lord had him to, but when the Lord had him to. And so he did go to Jerusalem. I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. And guess what he met there in Jerusalem? Guess what awaited him there? Opposition. Uh, first, in part, back in Acts chapter 9, and verse 26... He met with the fear of the disciples who were there waiting in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9 verse 26 says, When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. You know, that's not just a huge check mark in, in or strike against his character. Jesus' own brothers and sisters didn't believe him. So it's not like... You know, it's not like that's something that you can't get past, that you can't move forward through. And they did. But there was fear and there was disbelief on the parts of those apostles, those ones leading the church in the day, saying, mm, not sure, man. We know who you are. We know who you were. We know what you've done. I think that they recognized the changing power of the Lord. But there was still well, there's still some struggle there. What did we read about in verse 13 that he told the Galatians? You've heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. This was years before, when it was still fresh in their minds, when it was still, well, closer to that time when he was doing such things. Of course they looked at him and said, hmm, not sure. 
And if he wanted to be, he could have been disheartened at that. But that fear was dealt with, we understand. But Barnabas took him, continuing on in verse 27, brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and there was a measure of acceptance. I imagine perhaps some of the iciness, the frostiness, might have taken a little bit of time in different individuals. Flesh is flesh. Fear isn't something that just typically, unless you have a real deliverance and victory in the Lord, that it's just cast out. There might have been some dubiousness as they looked at Saul of Tarsus walking amongst them, saying, I'm a child of God now. But this testimony was a good one. And they warmed up to him eventually. Now, not so much some of the others. In verse 29 of Acts chapter 9, Then he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. And the King James Version does it not say Grecians, I believe. But they attempted to kill him. Now, there's some contention over who these Hellenists were exactly. But you can suffice it to say that it seems that clearly they're of Jewish descent, brought up to some measure in the Greek culture, the Greek religion, Greek understanding, speaking Greek language, all of those things. Uh, These ones, for their own reasons and for their own purposes, they sought to kill him as he was, well, as Paul was bringing this this word as he was bringing his message. The point was that Paul had opposition early and he had it often from all types of different sources. All different locations, wherever he was, opposition followed him. Some of it was very dangerous on a natural level. I mean, I don't know if anyone here can really put up their hand outside of someone who's been at war. Maybe you can. Maybe I'm dealing with some dangerous people. But if you could raise your hand and say, yes, someone actually has tried to kill me or is in the process of wanting to kill me right now. I'm not going to have you put... Judy, you scared me to death for a second. He was <laughs> He's like, yeah, He's scratching his eye. Uh, I don't know if anyone is in complete mortal danger right now, if you ever have been. But this was legit. I mean, these ones... Well, when they wanted to put someone away, they could. And they did. They made it quite plain. This was a different world, a different culture, a different society than we live in today. And these ones, well, ones such as Paul, they met with some difficulty, to say the least. Some of his opposition was dangerous on a natural level. Some of it was very threatening to him on a natural level. The Lord certainly being in in complete control, as we'll always say. Some of it was actually quite justified on a natural level, if you consider who he was, as we just read a moment ago. In verse 13, I won't read it to you again, but he understood that he'd persecuted the church of God. Understood that, and he understood that other people understood that. And so for safety's sake, in order to maintain his physical safety, we are rational and we do things as the Lord leads uh, if he doesn't lead us otherwise to do against the practical and against the logical. We do what is practical and logical. And so he went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, it says in verse 21 of our text passage. And this again correlates with Acts chapter 9. In verse 30, when the brethren found out that the Hellenists wanted to kill him, that he was in danger, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And Tarsus is the capital, or was the capital, of Cilicia in that day. And so Paul then spent an unrecorded amount of time preaching there, ministering, spreading the word, no doubt, until God, until Paul, not Paul, excuse me, lots of names rolling around up in here. Barnabas went and found him, as is recorded in Acts chapter 11. I'm not going to turn there. 
But Barnabas came and found him in Acts chapter 11. Sought to connect with him. And, well, they ended up going on Paul's missionary journey, we understand. Ultimately, they find themselves back in Jerusalem. We can read that in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1, where Paul says there just after our text passage, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And we can read about that trip in Acts chapter 15. I won't tonight for time's sake. We might discuss more of that next week. Put a little highlight there in my notes. But in the meantime, there was still all kinds of opposition to endure for Paul. While he was, well, after he had left and went out and and went throughout Galatia and established himself, he went to Antioch and Pisidia. And again, for time's sake, I'm not going to hit all of these things. But in Acts chapter 13, we know that he went to Antioch and Pisidia, as I mentioned last week, a city in Galatia. Galatia. They were filled with envy there. Those ones who heard him preaching, they opposed the things spoken of by Paul. And they expelled him from their region, it says in Acts chapter 13. He went from there to Iconium in Acts chapter 14. It records that. Acts chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, I won't read those. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. That was Acts chapter 14 and verse 2. And they went to abuse and stone them, it says in verse 5 and 6. They became aware of it and fled to Lystra, Derby. The city is a Blyconia, all of those things in that Galatian region. In Lystra, Paul dared to heal a man who couldn't walk. Dared to do a work of God. They wanted to worship him, him and Barnabas both, and called them Hermes and Zeus. And wanted to sacrifice some, some oxen. Here came the priest of Zeus coming out ready to just slay these ones and honor these ones who were the gods that were walking among them. And Paul said, don't you dare do this. Come, no, this is not who we are. So they said, okay, then we'll stone you if that's that's not who you are. Get out of here. And they stoned Paul and drug him out of the city in Acts 14 and verse 19. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe, another city in the Galatian region. And there were any number of other conflicts, any number of other dangers, any number of other accounts that are recorded and not recorded that took place during this time frame. During these 14 years, perhaps, between, well, that Paul was waiting to go back into Jerusalem. This history that he's sharing with these ones in how many verses? 10 through 24, 14, 20 verses here that he presents here. What was the point of this history lesson, these memoirs that he had here? I've bounced back and forth to a number of different things here just to prove one point that Paul might have been presenting. Opposition was his. Opposition simply because he had been given the message, been given the word, He had intent to speak that word, and opposition came. And it came hard and fast, it seems. We only considered a few of the events here in his initial ministry. You know he was shipwrecked. You know he was beaten multiple times. You know he was arrested. We know the, we can look in hindsight, and it's 2020. This was just in that first initial part of his ministry before he really set off in earnest in bringing the message at large to all of these different ones. These ones in Galatia would have had an understanding of all that opposition and more, of all of the different situations that Paul had encountered and had the nearness of time in being close and knowing who it was, how it was, when it was, what the result was. 
what the threat was, the genuineness of the threat and the opposition, and still look at him and say, yeah, that was a potential stumbling block for Paul. And yet here he is writing us. Here he is looking to chastise us, correct us, teach us, remind us. Well, and dare I say he's encouraging us by the end of this? And what it should have done in that moment is demonstrate that Paul was saying, come what may, whatever my lot, it is well with my soul. And my lot is to bring the word of God. My lot is to teach you that this is a perverted gospel that these ones with their own motives have come in and try to butcher your mind, butcher your thoughts, butcher your spiritual well-being for their own good. Whereas they're trying to butcher me for simply sharing the word of Jesus. And here I am, nevertheless. And there he stood, as it were. He wrote them a scroll, it seems. He said, let us not grow weary while doing good. And I'm not exalting and lifting up Paul. But it's plain he practiced what he preached. He did not grow weary overall while he was doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's what he tells in Galatians 6, 9. And he continued to practice that in Acts chapter 20. I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And we know that to be so. The testimony is recorded and it's written and it's present. And we study it for ourselves. Saints Paul gave them that history lesson and us as we read this. He gave them that lesson that the Lord wanted them to hear that they might remember and be reminded that Paul was a credible source. That Paul was, well, he was the real deal. And only because he submitted to the Lord who enabled him to be that real deal, to be that credible source. And they did. Galatians 1 verse 23 Others who were willing to see that, Paul recognized that they, that they saw it. They were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once, I'm sorry, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. He wanted that from the Galatian saints. He wanted them to glorify God, not him. He gave them a history lesson. This is what I've endured. This is what I've encountered. And yet here I am still knowing full well the opposition that will still come my way. And yet, I want you to glorify God in me. His memoir simply points to a man well equipped by God for every good work and willing to do every good work that the Lord would equip him for. Their ears should have been perked up by this time while they were hearing this should have been perked up to remember, he's the real deal. God has enabled this one. And saints, as we pursue and continue on into Galatians, our ears should be perked up to recognize what we can learn, what we can take from it, as theirs should have been. Moving on to Galatians chapter 2 next week. I'm grateful for this message that this man was willing to give and that we can receive.